so excited to be here with us this morning. This is our fourth week of talking about the vision and distinctives of our church. If you haven't picked up the sheet, it's still in the back there with the vision and distinctives of our church. Next week, you're going to get to hear from someone other than me. You'll get to hear from our leadership who's going to talk about what excites them about the, the uh, vision and distinctives of the church and how that's going to bear out into their ministry. So you don't want to miss that. That's going to be a wonderful way of kind of bringing this all um, to a closure. But today is going to be the last day talking about the vision and distinctives. Um, and the reason we've been talking talking about this for four weeks is because we have to know where we are going if we want to get to where we want to be, right? If we just don't know where we're going, if we have no vision or big picture, we just kind of step along blindly as we go, then we won't end up where we want to go. And if you've heard me do that little intro before in this series, you know that probably I'm going to tell you just a couple more GPS fails, because I just love them. I think they're so funny. Um, so you're all like, oh boy, here she goes. So I just got two to tell you this morning. Um, uh, GPS fails. This one just kind of kills me. I can't even believe it's true, but I think it's true. It was on the internet, so it must be true. Um, a, a, a woman in Belgium got into her car and told her GPS to tell her the best route to get to Brussels which was about 90 minutes away, probably about a two-hour drive. She finally realized the device had led her astray two days later when she drove 900 miles across Europe. She said she had no idea it was that. She thought maybe it was far. She didn't realize it was that far. And so she just kept driving until for a trip that should have been just taking an afternoon. So that's the first story, hard to believe, I know. But the second one is actually a little easier to believe. This one is about um, that I, certain iPhones came equipped with a certain Apple Maps error, and this error was directing people to drive right onto an active runway in uh, airport Alaska, uh, an Alaskan airport. And so it was telling them to turn right onto this runway. And so two different people, again, blindly following their GPS, ignoring all the signs and the barricades saying, active runway, this is an airport, drove right out onto the runway. We're taxiing around with the, with the planes until finally they had to barricade the whole airport off because people kept turning down into the runway. See, this is what happens when we don't really know where we're going, when we don't know, have the vision, we're just following blindly the next step that comes after the next step. Um, and this is why we need to have vision, right? This is why we're talking about vision as a church. So today we're going to, again, close out this um, series. I want to remind us of our overall vision statement, sort of the overall uh, elevator pitch, if you will, of who we are as Gate City Vineyard. And it is this, Gate City Vineyard is a welcoming Come as you are, community of Jesus followers, who seek to spread the love of God wherever they go and invite others to experience that love for themselves. That's who we want to be at Gate City Vineyard. That's what we're looking to be. And we're elaborating on talking about this vision by elaborating on the distinctives. Those are on the back page of that sheet if you've picked it up. And these are what make us distinctive as a church. What is, what is different about us? Not necessarily better, but what's different about us as a church? There are many, many wonderful churches in Greensboro, but why come to Gate City Vineyard? What makes us distinctive? And I hope that you've seen this throughout this whole series is how much there are some things I think that do set us apart from other churches, some things that it's a place that we occupy that not too many churches occupy. One of those is that vineyard distinctive of being that, that we sit in the radical middle, that we're not afraid to hold things in tension as we follow biblical truth. And I think you've seen this as we've been talking about this all along the way, that we focus on the unchanging truths of the Bible, but at the same time following the ever-changing wind of the Spirit. We care about the spiritual lives of people, that they would come to know God, but we also care about their physical and mental and emotional health as well. 
We care about preaching the gospel of Jesus so that lives can be transformed by knowing him, by faith in him, but we also want to be his hands and feet out in the world and spread his love out in our communities, doing social justice and caring for the poor. And we care about the world and the politics and the issues that are out in the world, but the gospel we preach is that Jesus died for our sins and he loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. That is our, is our focus. That is our main message. And so I'm excited about that. And when we talk about this middle place, I love the word wholeness because it reminds us that we, are, we all come to Jesus not fully whole. We come with our own perspectives and in our own experiences, and God is wanting to make us whole, and that's why those distinctives are labeled to be that we want to preach the whole gospel, not just the gospel that actually spoke to us and we got saved about, but the whole gospel that might stretch us a little bit. We want to preach about and, and care for the whole person spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, and we also want to care and, and, and function as a whole and healthy church. All of these things uh, help us to, to know that we're on an adventure, aren't we? Because it's an adventure of growth. Every one of us will have to grow. Every one of us will be stretched a little bit to become more and more whole. And that is a good thing, church, right? We're on an adventure together, so let's, let's do it. We're going to finish up this series today by talking about how we function as a whole and healthy church. And I'm going to start this by telling you four kind of serious stories. All right? Um, they're not happy stories. They're hard stories. They're about people who once had a vibrant faith and who left their faith. And they didn't do it because of Jesus, but because of the church. All right? So I'm going to just tell you these stories. They are based on real situations, but all the details have been changed. The first was a man who was well-liked and respected in the community of the church. However, he had a hidden and highly dysfunctional intimate life that even his wife didn't know about. And so, of course, it had destroyed the intimacy of their own marriage. So their marriage was really struggling, and as a result, they went to the elders, and they got counseling from the elders. And the elders said that they needed to stay together and that she needed to get counseling. And they knew and trusted the man. They assumed that he was okay, that she just needed to kind of submit more and be a better wife. And so she was sent off to get counseling, and it really didn't do anything. Every time she'd come back and say, nothing's changing, they would say, I think you guys need to work together more, be a couple more, you need to submit more to him. And so at the end of the day, she couldn't stand it anymore. She left him, and it turned out that it came out later that he had also abused two of their children, their son and their daughter. There was another man, oh, and the two children left the church altogether and left their faith. Now, there was another man who was an elder and a prophet in a church. Whole family, greatly loved, very prominent in the church. He was a very important man in the church. But unfortunately, they had many family gatherings, and at one of, a couple of them, this man who was uh, an uncle um, inappropriately touched two of the girls. Now, some of the people tried to raise this with the family and with the elders, including one of the dads of one of the girls, but no one would possibly believe it. They blamed it on his medicine and some things he was going through, and so no one believed what had happened, and so eventually that father also left his faith and walked away from the church. In the third case, there was a Christian high school that was connected with a church which had a headmaster, headmistress, really, a woman who was controlling and verbally aggressive to her staff. However, she was a very charming and charismatic personality, so everyone in the community loved her. She seemed to be an example of Christian faith, but to her staff, she was very controlling, very aggressive, um, told her bookkeeper to hide a few things that she bought that weren't approved by the board, so things going on behind the scenes, but no one could tell on the outside. Kids were coming to the, to the school, the enrollment was up, money was coming in, 
The church, even though it bore the same name as the school, didn't really oversee it too much. They trusted her, so they just gave the principal all the right to do all, make all the decisions. Any staff negatively affected tried to raise their issues, but, but whenever they did, it was kind of twisted. And um, so they never were able to, and many didn't raise them because they were afraid. Countless teachers and staff ended up leaving the school, and a few ended up leaving their faith as well. And then in this fourth story, there was a man and woman who got married right out of college, um, started attending a very conservative evangelical church. The church was, was a Christian church, but also had many unwritten, dogmatic, and slightly legalistic rules about it. So, for example, women should, were not really, it was frowned upon if they worked outside the home. They should really stay home with their kids, homeschool, and they should do all of that. They should not go out and work in the workplace. The men should be strong and lead and make all the decisions. And even the pastor and the elders had a very strong hand because they were God's anointed. And so they kind of dictated who we should vote for and how, you should, uh, how your money should be spent, what issues were the most important, a very controlling hand. After a couple of decades, the woman, who was a strong and intelligent woman, left the church and decided none of this church stuff and Christian stuff was true and walked away from her faith. Now I tell you these stories which are sad stories. Because what they all have in common is people walking away from their faith, but not because of Jesus. Okay, it's one thing if you walk away from Jesus because, you know, you realize the cost of following him is high, okay? That, that has some logic to it. Uh, or you decide at the end of the day you don't really believe he rose from the dead or something. But that wasn't why these people left their faith. They left it because of unhealthy leaders in unhealthy churches. And they threw the whole thing away, in some cases very, very damaged. If the wife of the man with the dysfunction had only been heard, believed, if they'd gone to real counseling and not elder counseling, whatever that is, we're not doing that. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> if they went to real counseling and could really deal with their issues, maybe that marriage could have been saved. Maybe those girls could have been protected, those kids could have been protected. If the man who had violated the girls had been properly and honestly dealt with right up front, then maybe the rest of the family would have been checked and maybe the man would not have walked away from his faith. If the aggressive school principal had been confronted, if there were proper avenues for raising your complaints, then that woman's influence could have been mitigated. If the church and its leaders had not been so controlling and legalistic on that poor woman telling her what she needed to be, I'm guessing she wouldn't have decided she didn't believe in Jesus anymore. So this is the sort of thing that once in a while I think we have to talk about. Okay, we don't talk about this all the time, heavy stuff, but I believe this grieves the heart of God. I love the church. I mean, I've given my life to serving in the church. I love God's people. And I know in many of these cases, there were many wonderful, well-meaning, good people in those churches, in the, even in that leadership. But here's what happens, that, that they were unhealthy, and this is how many churches are unhealthy in the way they're structured, and the way they manage staff, and the way they manage the pastor and the elders, all of that. And so it results in these kind of problems, and maybe some of you have lived through some of that. I bet some of you have come from churches and have experienced that, where there's an unhealthiness that damages people's walk with Jesus. And that's where I get mad. That's where Jesus gets mad, because you're hurting his people. And so our statement is saying that we function as a whole and healthy church, and I gotta tell you, in some ways, it's my most, I'm most happy about this part of our statement, because I actually think it's unusual. 
I think that most churches don't look inward. They don't look at their systems and their processes and their culture to see if they're healthy in the way they deal with their leadership, their staff, their boards, their pastor. And I'm excited about that because it, ex it affects the spiritual growth of people. Let me just say it to you a truth that I want you to hear. You cannot have unhealthy systems, no accountability, emotionally unhealthy pastors and staff, lack of oversight, and poor management, and still have a healthy church. You can't. And listen, I don't care how big the church is growing. I don't care how my people are coming to Jesus. That's wonderful, but it's kind of despite this, right? Um, I don't care how nice all the people are, but you cannot have this kind of unhealthiness and have a healthy church. And what happens is the unhealthiness trickles into the church. It kind of like, like kind of invades it like a, like a toxic chemical. And you can't really quite figure out why something doesn't seem right or why people always seem to leave angry or whatever. And, and yet it's like a chemical that's oozing into the floor and, and flooding the atmosphere. That's what unhealthiness does. It's interesting that the church in the New Testament is described as a body. And so I just want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And I don't know, if you're of a certain age, as I am, you're probably figuring out that all those unhealthy things you've been doing all along to your body were probably not such a good idea after all. Anybody there with me? Um, all that junk food you ate and all that maybe drugs you did or drinking you did too much of, all of that stuff that you poured into your body, all the exercise you didn't do uh, that you, th you should do but you never got around to doing, all of that stuff. And it finally, you know, Big Macs don't forget, right? Krispy Kreme, don't forget. <laughs> and so it all comes to bear, doesn't it? Our bodies struggle as we get older because you can't go back and change the decisions you made, but man, it affects you now. And in the same way, the body of Christ must be led and managed in a healthy way, or otherwise that toxicity, that unhealthiness, will cause disease eventually. Sometimes it takes a while to come out. This didn't, you know, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you're like, good, I can do anything. I can eat fries. I can eat all this stuff. But, you know, it starts to catch up with you later. And so is the, the case with the church. Um, it fills up. It, it catches up with us later. And so I think it's so important for us and so good for us as a church to take real stock of our systems and how we operate. This is one of my passions. Maybe you can figure that out. But this is one of my passions as a pastor, not just to preach the Word of God and, and pastor and love on all you, but to make sure that we have a healthy church in every way that it's, that's healthy, that it's soul-filling, that there's a culture of honesty and transparency and accountability and truth. Amen? If the church is healthy, then people can grow. Then people can grow. So I'm going to walk through our distinctives under this idea of being a whole and healthy church. The first one says this. We act intentionally to make Eight City Vineyard a place of safety and welcome for those wounded or disillusioned by experiences in other spiritual contexts. We institute healthy oversight and accountability in the entire ministry seeking transparency and honesty in all things. I want us to be a play, a church, where people who have gone through the things like in the stories which I just told you could walk in this place and go, ah, 
thank God, there's finally a place of safety. They can say, this is different. This is what I want for anyone who has come from a wounded place, from another church, another spiritual experience. And so a few of the things, and there's lots of things we've put in place, but a few things just to highlight for you. Happy to talk more about this with any of you at any time. But this is, first of all, a place where the pastor, me, and the board are held accountable, and our staff are held accountable. We do reviews every year, um, and that will be, I will review staff, but also the board gets to feed into that, so it's not just me on the staff, it's also the board feeding in on that. I'm reviewed every year as a 360, so that people who work for me or under me are also reviewing me as well as the board who is essentially over me um, and then there's many other conversations in between not just the yearly ones but about how are you doing and what's happening and and how's the situation being handled so there's a lot of accountability for the pastor and the staff we also all took sexual harassment and child abuse training of course this is non-negotiable uh, anyone who's working with children takes child abuse training there's a board, there's accountability among the board. We are very honest and open with one another and also tell each other when there's something that's not right. So we are holding one another accountable as well. It's also a place where you would be taken seriously. So if you have a concern ever about anything, I will not be offended, okay? Just come to me and come to my office. My door is wide open and just come and let's hear. We have to be a place where we can speak truth and receive truth. All right, so important. So you're welcome to always come, and you will be taken seriously. Your concern will be taken seriously. But if you're not comfortable talking to me, that's fine, too. You can go to the board. The staff knows they can go to the board if they ever got a problem with me. Uh, so they can go to the board and talk to them, and that's, that's the right thing to do. And the board will also help in that situation. This needs to be a place where everyone can feel listened to and heard and safe to bring their concerns, every single one of you. It's also a place where soul health is of utmost importance, and maybe you've already gathered that in some of the talks, the teachings we've had already, but um, I meet regularly with the staff, not just to find out how their work's going, but also how's their soul? How are they doing? How's their work-home life balance going? And what are they you know, having struggle with? And so I'm greatly concerned for the soul health of everyone, the staff, the board, and myself. Because here's the thing, when we don't take care of the soul health of the leaders, then we either become very vulnerable to sin, to dysfunction, or just to burnout. And that's going to affect the whole ministry. So it's so important to be taking care of the soul health at all levels of leadership. We focus on having emotionally healthy leadership, handing conf handling conflicts with grace, speaking truth to one another, keeping our egos in check, submitting to each other, feeding our own souls and creating healthy teams. And lastly, under this uh, category of kind of having a, a Gate City be a place of safety, we want to always be a place of financial transparency. And so every year, of course, we um, have an annual meeting, a family meeting, where we go through all the finances. You will see all the things that we get, all the money we get in and what we spend out, <laughs> okay? Um, that you always can know that. But you, even in between those meetings, again, you can go to Tim Towery, our treasurer, and you can ask him, and he will sh tell you anything you need to know. Um, we're very careful about how the money's counted, who counts it, how many people are there, and I don't see any of it, okay? I don't touch any of the money. I don't know who gives what. I stay out of that altogether, all right? So again, there's accountability, there's structure, um, safety, all right? Amen. I want this, all these things, and there's many other smaller things, but all these things are an attempt to make this a church where, as one person put it, people can come to church to get healed from church, so hopefully this is a place of getting healed from um, other experiences you've had. 
So that's the first thing. It's a place of safety. I pray that this is a place of safety for you. Um, the second is that this is a place of empowerment. I want to read to you from uh, our statement under this, this heading. We make space for the full functioning of the gifts of God and seek to create a welcoming culture for all people from all backgrounds. We affirm women and men to serve in all levels of leadership according to their gifting. And this is personally something that I'm very excited about, that the vineyard, uh, it's a vineyard um, distinctive. Everyone gets to play. Everyone. Every one of you has gifts and talents that God has given you to serve the body with. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're stuck at home. You still have gifts that you can use, okay? I don't care if you're here and you're young, if you're a child, if you're a teenager. You have gifts that can be used to serve the body, to serve God, to serve others in the community. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I really urge you to come talk to me as well because I, you know, I, can, I have a spiritual gifts test. I can walk through it with you. I just did a spiritual gifts test with someone recently, and they were just so thrilled because they had or, people had already pointed out these things to her. She didn't realize they were spiritual gifts. So that's the thing. You have them. God has gifted you. And so let's find out what those things are, and let's use them for the kingdom. Let's empower one another to walk in the gifting that he's given you, every single one of you. There's not one of you exempt. Not one of you. I know that some of you think, yeah, they have a lot of gifts, don't they? No, I want you to remind yourself, I have gifts. God has given me. Um, Joel, too, says it this way. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. See, it's by the Holy Spirit pouring out men and women, old and young, servants and, and whoever else. He's, he's pouring it out on all people. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6 puts it this way. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. One of the things that I'm personally very thankful about is the openness and the willingness to have women in all levels of leadership in the vineyard. This is a vineyard distinctive. I've been around a lot of other churches that are very evangelical and they're lovely, but they will not allow a woman to do what I'm doing <laughs> right now. And, you know, I know you may be all used to me by now, but I just want to say, I know it was a step out of the box to hire me. I get that. It's not in our culture yet fully. And so I thank you for that, first of all. And I also um, want to just say to you, like, well done. What an amazing distinctive, not because it's about me, but because we're stepping into what, what the fullness, the wholeness of what God has for us, right, that he has for all women. Now, if you ever have any question about that and why we believe that biblically and why maybe other churches don't, I'm happy to talk to you about it. There's plenty of books about it. I just wanted to give you just a quick highlight in case anyone ever says to you, why do you, why do you have a girl pastor? That's not right. You, now I'm going to give you just a little word, okay? You can take a picture of this slide when we're, when we're done with it, and I'll give you a little bit here. The first is just Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. That kind of says it all right there. It basically says in the New Covenant, we have taken away the distinctions of race and class and gender. We, all, we are all one in Christ Jesus, and God is gifting us all to serve in the body. That's the first. 
There are a few restrictive verses or seemingly restrictive verses in the New Testament that you'll find in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, but when you start to look into those, and again, I can give you more if you need it, but when you look into those, they were given to specific women at specific times in specific churches. They don't represent Paul's overall teaching on leadership or on the gifts, and you'll see later he, t he, he speaks many times of women prophesying, praying, leading, and teaching, walking in their gifts. There are women in leadership all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Deborah, a prophet and military leader who led Israel uh, in, in Judges 4 and 5. Huldah, a respected prophet whom King Josiah went to to find out what he should do and what God was going to do, who, who basically counseled and advised the king in 2 Kings. Romans 16 is a cool passage to read. That whole chapter, Paul is commending all the people that work with him, and you will be astonished at how many women are on that list. Let me remind you, in that culture, women basically meant nothing. They had no rights. They had no voice. Why would he list all these women uh, in this list? It's incredible. Um, I'll just tell you a couple. Priscilla and Aquila, he says, co-workers in Christ Jesus, he calls them. He calls them both co-workers. And, little note, he puts Priscilla's name first, which probably meant she was the, the more of the leader of the two. Um, we also have, in verse 7 of, of Romans 16, Andronicus and Junia. Junia they call, he calls them outstanding among the apostles. So Junia is a woman's name. So there was a woman apostle back in the early church. Funny fact about that is that in the 20th century, when, a, when the big rise of fundamentalism and putting women back in kind of a patriarchal mode came, they started doing translations that called it Junius, because that's a man's name. <laughs> Let's just change the name, because it can't possibly be that a woman was an apostle, but all translations, all the early manuscripts, it's Junia. It's a woman. It was an apostle. And um, I list up here also so many verses that talk about um, the verses uh, that uh, talk about the ministries and the gifting that God gives, all these different verses in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, Colossians, not one of them mentions that certain ones are for women or certain ones are for men. They're just given to the body of Christ. Leadership gifts, teaching gifts, prophetic gifts, serving gifts, all of those. And then maybe my personal favorite, who are the first evangelists? The two women who saw Jesus at the tomb. The first ones to see the risen Lord. Now, remind, let me remind you that women's voice and their testimony had no meaning in court, no value, but they had meaning to Jesus. He gave the first eyewitnesses to his, the, the greatest fact, the greatest testimony of all time that Jesus was risen from the dead. He gave it to two women who then told the men, who then had to come and run and see it for themselves because, of course, they didn't believe the women, but they got to see it first. In their defense, I'd want to run and see it too, so I get that. <laughs> what all this shows is the progressive nature of Scripture, the progressive revelation of God throughout Scripture in both the New Testament, which were written in a time period and a culture which was very repressive toward women, in which they had no voice, in which it was very patriarchal. But God, even in the midst of that, pulled these women out and used them in spectacular ways and, and showing like he was just pressing the culture forward, saying, no, I got something better and bigger for you guys, and I'm just pressing you forward uh, and, and, and pushing you forward to see that women are going to be filled with my spirit and able to teach and do all the things. Um, because, God, we need everybody, right? we got a world to reach for Jesus, and we can't afford to leave half the people 
out of that project, right? Amen. Amen. So I thank God that we, we, we you know, empower all people, women, men, young, and old, to serve with their gifts. The last thing I want to say about our uh, distinctive here is that we're also a place of diversity. And there's some wording in our distinctive about that as well, which I'll read right now. We pursue diversity, knowing that we will be better representatives of Jesus in the world if we listen to and learn from various perspectives and cultural voices. We seek to impact our community in ways that affirm each person's infinite worth and allow everyone the opportunity to thrive. The diversity of our people is one of our biggest strengths because it's the representation of the, the character and the image of God. See, the image of God isn't just one race or, or type of person or gender, it's, it's all of us. And so that diversity allows us to see the greatness of our God, the image of our God. We have this incredible picture in Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. See, God has made all of us with all cultures and colors and languages and likes to be before him and worship him together in unity. That's his goal for us. And that's what we get to see just a glimpse of here. And Oh, it's hard to get that glimpse, isn't it? Because it's hard to be a diverse people, to have differences among us, and yet worship together and love God together and love each other well. So one of the things we can do when we think about diversity and welcoming diversity, one of the basic things we can do is just be open, welcoming, and friendly. <laughs> Let's just be friendly when people come through the door. And you know, this is something I don't even have to tell you all to do because you are really good at this. I've had several people over the last several months tell me this is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been to. And I just want to say, good job. <laughs> Kudos. I mean, that's amazing. That, that was true before we got here. I mean, like, it's not like I made it happen. Like, you guys were, have been like this. We felt that when we first walked in. This, that's a gift, that you're just friendly and welcoming and open, and anyone that comes to the door, come as you are. And so keep that up. Let's keep doing that as we have more and more visitors come. Come and, and meet one another. Visitors, go meet other people, other visitors. Let's all be friendly and welcoming to each other. It's so important when people go to a church. But guess this, that welcoming diversity is not just being friendly, okay? It's also beginning to do and share life together. So it's one thing to say hello to people and get, you know, in church, but then going out for coffee, maybe having people to your home, maybe getting together with your kids at a park, starting to share life, share your dreams, share your stories with one another. That is how then we begin to really understand one another. That's how we come to unity. There's a, there's a false unity we can have if we're just friendly, okay? It doesn't mean it's false, but if it's only friendly, it can be a false unity. But once we start to share life together, then, then, then a real unity can start to be built. Amen? And along with that, welcoming is also listening and learning. By definition, a person who's different than you thinks differently than you. They do, they're going to be different than you in some way or the other. If they have a different background, a different experience, a different race, a different, different socioeconomic class, whatever, they're going to have different experiences. They're going to have a different opinion. And so our job is not to just convince them that we're right. <laughs> that's, not, that's not our job. Our job is to listen and to learn and to hear, wow, I, you know, that, what you're telling me is your experience. It's not my experience, but... Wow, I'm really glad to know that. I'm really glad to know that. So it's lamenting with one another. It's hearing one another. It's growing in understanding and compassion of the journey that every one of us is on, whether it's because of the color of our skin, 
or because of our gender, because we're LGBTQ, or because we have a disability, or because we come from a different class, or have struggle, don't have a job, or whatever the issue is, we are all different, and we can learn so much from one another. So let's do that. Let's be that kind of welcoming community. And so at the end of the day, welcoming diversity is also then standing with each other, speaking for each other, caring about the things that one another cares about. And it may expand what you care about. We all care about our own life. That's what we know. But when we begin to get to know people who are different from us, then the things we care about can get bigger, can't they? This is called wholeness, right? This is becoming whole. It's becoming bigger and, and, and understanding and, and, and standing with others. So standing shoulder to shoulder, not walking out when the conversation gets hard, but pressing in and getting to know one another, hearing and learning and listening. This is diversity. Not easy. Not easy. Not every church does it well. Not every church tries to do it. Um, and we do have a, well, a diversity committee going on right now because this is an important value for us. And so they are gonna be, they're talking about all of this. How do we be a welcoming, diverse place? And so they're going to be starting, you're going to start to hear more from them. They've been doing a lot of kind of talking amongst themselves now, but we're going to start to hear more from them, I hope, this fall. Um, they may be putting out a survey about your experiences here at Gate City. They may have some smaller groups talking about their ex your experiences and diversity and so on. So I'm excited about that. One of the questions, um, Melinda, who's leading it, said, she said, we might have people think about this question, um, which is a great question. How do you know when you're home? Because home is a place of safety, right? This is, applies to everything I've just said. So you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it seem, you know, look, feel like? Um, what do you see, feel, hear, and notice? And that's when we know we're in a safe place where we're welcome. So it's a great question. What will make you feel like you're home here at Gates City Vineyard? So those are questions we want to answer. May we be a place that feels like home to anyone who comes in these doors. The last part of the statement I'll mention is just this. We seek to keep Jesus our primary focus. And rather than getting caught up in political ideologies, culture wars, negative social or cultural influences. At the end of the day, as I said at the very beginning of this series, we're Jesus followers, so we're going to be about Jesus. So get ready to hear a lot about Jesus every week. That's what we do. We worship him, we talk about him. You don't have to believe in Jesus to be here. We'd love it if you're not. Like, just come and listen and learn and help us learn from you. Like, that's great. Ask all your questions. You don't even have to agree with how I talk about Jesus or how one of the board members talks about Jesus. But this is, this is going to be a place about Jesus. Why? Because we know and believe that he is real, that he is here, that he is the Son of God, and he loves you, and he's reaching out to you every single day to be in relationship with you, to walk with you, to help heal your wounds and, and make you whole. That's, if without him, none of it works, people. None of this wholeness works without Jesus. And so we're going to be about Jesus, and he's about transforming lives by the work of his Holy Spirit. And so I want to do something a little different to close the sermon Kids aren't even in here. It's too bad it's not a kid's Sunday because they would enjoy this. But I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to read you a book, actually. Um, and this is all because I was walking through Target. I can't remember what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for this. But um, I saw this book, and before I even read what it said, God said to me, buy it. And then I did pick it up and read it before I actually bought it. But um, it's called All Are Welcome. And it was just like standing there, like staring at me. And um, 
It's such a great little book. Um, it's not about God at all, okay? So it's actually about helping little children feel comfortable going back to school. So it's, a, it's to kids at school. Um, but it's about welcoming them into school. And I want you to be thinking with me as I'm reading this, if a school can try to do this, how much more should we as the people of God? We have the love of God in us and the Holy Spirit here. How much more should we be like this? All right, so just sit back. How often do you get a story read to you, right? That's pretty fun. Usually you're reading it to your kids. So here we go. All are welcome. All are welcome. Pencils sharpened in their case. Bells are ringing. Let's make haste. School's beginning. Dreams to chase. All are welcome here. No matter how you start your day, what you wear, when you play, or where, if you come from far away, all are welcome here. In our classroom, safe and sound, fears are lost and hope is found. Wow. <laughs> Raise your hand, we'll go around, all are welcome here. Gather now, let's all take part. We'll play music, <laughs> we'll make art. We'll share stories from the heart. All are welcome here. Time for lunch, what a spread. A dozen different kinds of bread. Pass it around till everyone's fed. All are welcome here. Open doors, rush outside. We will swing, we will slide. We'll have fun side by side. All are welcome here. We're part of a community. Our strength is our diversity. A shelter from adversity. All are welcome here. Powerful words from a little children's book. <laughs> we will learn from each other. Special talents will uncover. There's a big world to discover. All are welcome here. So much to learn, so much to do, and when the busy day is through, can't wait to come back and start anew. All are welcome here. Head for home to get some rest and greet tomorrow, ready and fresh. Our time together is the best. All are welcome here. You have a place here. You have a space here. This is the fun part. You are welcome here. I find that so moving. I mean, literally, if a, if, if a school with teachers who come and go, just, they're just there to teach, can be like that, how much more you and me who have, have been transformed by the love of Jesus, we know, we know what welcome is because Jesus has welcomed us. He's welcomed us. He's given us a new life. And how much more 
Does Jesus want us to show this kind of welcome to each person who comes? May our church, and I want this on the screen, this is the last couple slides. May our church here at Gate City Vineyard be a place of love and welcome where you can come as you are and people are happy to see you. May it be a place of safety where you're cared for and can heal. May it be a place of sharing where we love to learn from each other and listen to each other. May it be a place of generosity and compassion where we love our neighbor well and no one among us has lack. A place of laughing and crying and of having fun together, also weeping and lamenting together. A place where people can come to know the real Jesus and grow in their walk and love with him. A place of worship where Jesus is exalted and his presence is palpable and beautiful we sang this morning. A place of healing and hope where the spirit is free to move and sets people free. Gate City Vineyard, may we be a place where we have the best time together, building God's kingdom and where we just can't wait until we get back together. All God's people said, amen. 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 May it be so, Lord. Oh God, we come before you, Lord, and we just ask that you would make us this community, Lord. This community of Jesus followers who love, who come as we are to you, Lord, who spread the love of Jesus wherever we go and invite people to experience that love as well. And so we just want to take a moment, Lord, and just ask you to make us instruments of that, Lord, this morning. And there may be some of you today who have been wounded in church because it was not a healthy church. Maybe you need healing from church. Maybe it has caused you to hold back a bit. Maybe you've been a little disillusioned. And I just want to pray this moment, healing. Lord, would you bring healing to us? And maybe this morning you need to feel the welcoming presence of God. You're not sure you fit in. Are you welcome? Maybe you feel like you're different in some way. May you feel welcome. The welcome of the Holy Spirit here in this place. And the welcome of our people. And Lord, I think this is for all of us. Lord, make us all a welcoming people a people so humbly aware of our own need for Jesus, so aware of what you've done for us on the cross, Lord, so aware of your kindness and your goodness to us, how you've taken our brokenness and our need, Lord, and you have made it, and you've, you've healed us, and you've come in, and you've started to do a work in transforming us, God. Make us now people who can pour out that love and welcome to others. Make us that people. We're just going to go into this kind of response song, and you can sing it, um, or you can just spend some time just really praying. If you'd like to come up for prayer, if you need healing, 
If you need a refreshment in your soul, come on up. We have people who will be at the prayer table to pray with you. You can also just always come and just kneel at the altar. This is a place for you, a place of safety and a place of refreshment and of healing.